I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute. The podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 75, cleanup continues and Harry gets some business done. To tackle Minute 75, we're changing things up a bit. It's me, Robert Black of Michael Myers Minute, along with Rick Ingham of Mad Max Minute, and Sean German of Groundhog Minute. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Did I promise? Did I promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. I get a few words from you before you go. Oh. Rick, hello. How are you doing? Hey, Sean. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Good to hear from you. And, and Robert, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, I already hit record on the cast version, so. Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> I have just hit record on my local. When, when I do interviews, so. I hit record, and I'm like, I'll edit it to wherever I feel like it starts. Because <laughs> the intro yeah. is going to be separate anyway. Exactly. Well, this is all, it's all content. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, what does being in this studio recording session on cast mean right now? Yeah. Uh, well, which I think is, you know, <laughs> is a relevant question to, uh, uh, to the spinner. Yeah. Let me get my local backup running. This is what, 75? Yep. Mm-hmm. Woo. That's a lot of minutes. 75 out of 81. Um, yeah. I'm tempted to ask a question, but I, I don't want to know the answer. I mean, I want to know the answer, but I want to learn it organically listening to the podcast as things. Happen. I kind of want to know what the question is. Um, well, I want to know how, how are you going to approach the credits? Like, in, in, like, yeah. Like, do you do the, you know, can you do the credits one minute at a time with hosts that haven't seen the movie? Well, no, I didn't give those minutes to people. <laughs> okay. It'd be like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. If I can get enough combinations of guests back, then I mean, I've got seven minutes to fill. There is still stuff happening during the credits. I mean, is that little... The beginning of the credits, yeah. Happening? Yeah. The animation. Yeah. There's, what, three minutes of just credits and one minute mm-hmm. that has the animation stuff going. Mm. Yeah. I, I just rewatched the opening credits, uh, ah. preparing for this minute <laughs> and they're, they're so good. I mean, they're up there with like Repo Man in terms of an opening credit sequence that kind of, it doesn't give anything away. It doesn't spoil anything from, from the movie. But it totally sets you up for oh, yeah. where you need to be. It gives you all the exposition so you can just hit the ground running as soon as the action starts. They're, they're really good credits, the, the opening sequence. Especially coming after the opening scene that is the flash forward to the interview. It's like, 
we know a lot of what's coming. We know who Dave is, mm. which is yeah. good because we're not going to see him again until what, minute 13. <laughs> not really to a minute 15. Yeah. So. yeah. Robert, do you happen to have a link handy to like a Google Drive version of the minute? I want to have it looping in the background in the Facebook I video. Have... does not want to loop. I have it in Dropbox. All right, that'll work. Like I said, I usually like to have these things looping off to the side, and Facebook is being Facebook. You know, <laughs> it's that Zuckerberg causing trouble for everybody. There we go. That'll also allow me. Yeah, to I don't know what I have it playing in, but it is not looping. Facebook. But I have it open. And I have notes. Just loose. There we go. So who wants to describe minute 75? <laughs> so minute 75 starts with clean up, clean up everybody everywhere. Yep. Then... See. Yeah, I mean, so uh, what, uh, Harry Harry sets up his camera on a bookshelf to capture the action as our remaining characters begin cleanup of the aftermath, and Boom Operator is using his <laughs> <laughs> his boomstick as a <laughs> as a broomstick. Uh, yeah. I was going to say push broom, but you can't really push much when it's just the stick. He is moving then, things, but yeah. slowly. Slowly. He's, you know, he's, he's aiding in the effort as, as he knows how. And then, uh, at the end, Harry addresses, uh, Annie and Dave about, um, you know, about this movie they've been making within the movie. Yep. And we get our roll credits moment. <laughs> yeah. Right at the end of this minute. Now, up front, the musical track playing is by the Mondo Boys. Uh, this one is called Pickup. They did most of the soundtrack. And minute 75 before Harry even sets the phone down starts with Annie straightening the wall sconce that went crooked during those opening credits. That Sean, you said you just rewatched. Mm-hmm. Where they formed horns over Dave's head. Right, right. So it brings us all around full circle. Yeah, I found myself being um, almost wistful watching watching this minute because this is it's it's that melancholy moment when when you've set out to do something and then you've done it. Yeah, and you should feel good because you know whether it was you know without making any judgment whether the thing you did was good or not. Um, I mean, and good in terms of. Was it something that should have been done and did you do it well? There's kind of multiple meanings of good there. Um, you know, aside from those questions, it's just, it is what it is and now it's done. And then there's, there's that emptiness, that, that mission, your mission is over. It's complete. And that purpose that you once had is gone. And there's that quiet moment before you move on to the next thing. But but Dave did, um, 
what what he set out to do. Dave said, you know, way back in the beginning, uh, he he built something because he wanted to build something, hmm. and he definitely he built something with all the, you know, all the obstacles and dangers and nuances therein. You know, Sean, I appreciate where you're coming at this from. <laughs> I really do, and that was very heartfelt. But the amount of melancholy in this scene, and I'm focusing very much on Dave here, he created something magnificent and Mm -hmm. just fantastic. Something that bent the very laws of nature, time, space, physics, you name it. This maze threw it out the window, and he had to destroy it. He has essentially, and I mean, I don't want to get too graphic or anything like that but he had a puppy and he raised that puppy into a dog (laughs) and that dog got sick and he had to go out behind the barn and put the dog down this is dave's post old yeller moment (laughs) and just the look of just disappointment at lost potential on dave's face is all encompassing in this minute for me yeah, so this is very – I don't know if it's indicative of a generation and maybe that's too much to generalize it. I just think of there was a time when a movie, you know, this sort of hero's journey would end with great accomplishment, would end with, you know, the, the man who built the Hoover Dam or, you know, some some great accomplishment. And this kind of ends with – you know, Dave's sort of a slacker. Dave lacks focus and he focused. You know, this time he set out to do something and he actually finished it. He's not, he's no longer the, the man of a thousand different hobbies who dabbles in a bunch of different things. He does one thing to the end and, and people die <laughs> and then he has to destroy it. And then it's like, you know, is, is that the lesson? Like, well, gee, I really, I would have been better off doing nothing. Hmm. I should have, I should have painted for half a day and then played video games and then reorganized my album collection (laughs) and go to the flea market. Like I should have done the hundred little tasks that never really go anywhere that I would do on a usual weekend instead of actually accomplishing something with the weekend I had alone while Annie was away because, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Maybe that's a bit stretched, but you know, so he, he accomplished something and it turned out to be in some ways a huge mistake. That kind of lesson of, yeah, you were, you were kind of, you were right to be a slacker. You were right not to finish things because finished things kill people. Um, you know, I think, you know, most, you know, Gordon survives and Annie survives. So we feel good about that, but we, we should. Um, you know, no matter how we felt around those other characters, they didn't deserve to die. Not in the maze, not, not like this. So is that, you know, is that the lesson here? Is that the takeaway that like you're, you're better off not chasing those grandiose dreams? Wow. Yeah, Robert, that is a really (laughs) good question. Is it better to not try so no one gets hurt? As Homer Simpson would say, the lesson is never try. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, because it seems like the it's it seems like an uplifting movie for yeah. for much of it. That it's this wonder like like Rick said, I mean, he just starting from cardboard and paper and sort of the, just household materials. Dave has bent space and time. He has, you know, created life. He has sort of become a, a god of sorts in this cardboard holodeck, if you will. You know, this, this alternate, this alternate paper universe that he created through this portal in his living room. And you're like, wow, this is, this is a wonderful, magical place. You've got these flying origami birds and, you know, all these other things that are, that are wonderful. And then it turns, it turns dark. It just, it goes off the rails. It goes, it goes wrong in so many ways. Um, and there's, there's hints of that from the very beginning when, when, when Dave, you know, right off at the start, when Annie walks in and, and Dave's saying, you know, he's lost. Don't come in here. Yeah. And then when they all meet up, um, there's the, the, the booby traps and so many other things, which, I don't know if Dave ever explicitly states, but there's, I guess there's a lot of things that he didn't build or things that evolve into some purpose other than what he built them for. There's only, there's one hallway that he specifically references that it's something he didn't build. Okay. Um, but it implies that a lot of it is stuff he didn't plan for. Yeah. Well, I guess the very fact that he got lost and couldn't find his way out would imply yeah. that there's some shifting of reality that he didn't plan for or that he had his hand altered. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't plan for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I kind of, I, I drew some parallels. I think this is uh, just in general about going back to that idea of, of a project or an accomplishment or hitting a goal. Yeah. I could relate. I felt some, some connection between Dave and myself. Um, I had a, a recent project, uh, Groundhog Minute, uh, where myself and, and a good friend Dave Palace covered the movie Groundhog Day one minute at a time <laughs> as a, in, in podcast form, similar to, to this podcast that's covering this movie one minute at a time. And that was, you know, that was the reason I got into podcasting was specifically to cover that movie one minute at a time. Oh. And I'd done some other podcasts. I'd, I'd done other movies and, and done other things in, in preparation. And then I got to it and then I did it and, and then we finished it and then it was over. And then it was like, well, well, now what do I, yeah. do I pack up the microphone? Am I done? Do I, do I know, do I not do podcasts anymore because I did what I wanted to do? Like what's, what's next? Um, it's not a perfect analogy because I, I don't think anyone died during the course of <laughs> of Groundhog Minute, at least that not that we've been notified of. I certainly hope not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of that analogy though, the idea of creating a podcast, and I think the equivalent would be you get to the end of your movie, you finish your project, and then you take every media file, every link that you've posted, and you nuke it from the internet, oh. and it no longer exists. Because that's essentially what Dave had to do. Mm -hmm. He had to nuke this thing so that no one else got hurt. Yeah. Now, you might have created the Monty Python-esque greatest podcast ever created. So great that it caused people to 
throw themselves from buildings just out of sheer satisfaction. They have their lives are fulfilled because they listen to your podcast and they are now killing themselves. And so in order for you to save people, you have to destroy this magnificent, wonderful, one of a kind thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have not yet finished my project, which is the Mad Max Minute, but I can't imagine getting to the end of the four movie run that we've got planned and then just calling up Squarespace and being like, hey, can you just nuke my website, take everything that I've spent the last three years working on and just toss it out the window? I would be devastated if I had to do that for any reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have two responses to that. One, I don't know if either of you are keeping up with the daily episodes as they come up, but part of the story I just told during this last week's stretch with the, uh, I heard mm. that four part. <laughs> I heard that, yes. Was about a novel I was writing one chapter at a time. And when I wrote the last chapter and I had to transfer it to a different computer to put it online to where an audience could read it, the chapter wasn't there. And that is still, that was almost 20 years ago now, it is still one of the worst nights of my life. Because it was that kind of feeling like that I can imagine when you're saying, like, delete all these things from mm-hmm. that record. Is it like, when I talked about it in that story, I put on an accent because that was the easiest way to tell that story. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. to actually tell that story makes me, like, tear up again because I'm like, I remember that night and how much it... I was like, well, that was a waste of, what, couple months of my life until the next morning when suddenly I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to write the chapter again, and it's going to be better. Or it's not. I don't know. I, I still think it's worse, but it's something. Mm-hmm. And it gave a complete story. The other thing is, and this is for Rick, when you started Mad Max Minute, was the plan to do all the movies from the start? Oh, yeah. We had, well, I say we had. I had obsessively <laughs> planned out everything. Of course. From beginning to end. That's kind of what I do. I'm a bit obsessed when it comes to mapping things out and planning. I am not going to sit here and say that the Mad Max Minute grew organically as my creative juices flowed as Dave did with this maze. It feels like it just grew yeah. and expanded as he did. I had everything very carefully planned out from the beginning, and I still do. And I, I wouldn't, I would recommend to everybody to have a good plan. I wouldn't recommend everybody be as obsessive as I am. But <laughs> I just, I have to applaud Nick Thune. <laughs> At the end of the day, I have to applaud him. And it's incredible that Harry is also able to be very detached in this situation. Like, yeah. a situation comes up where your entire night's worth of work disappears, and then someone else walks into a situation and has the same cavalier attitude that Harry does, and you're like, how can you do that? Where were you? <laughs> how can you just be like that? It's insane. <laughs> it's very similar to the meme that goes around the internet. It's a person sitting in a chair just staring at a wall, and it's 
described as that feeling you get when you finish a book and then you look around and realize that the world is just carrying on as if nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Cause I started Michael Myers minute, my other current show, um, imagining doing the entire franchise, which is now what? It's a bold move, movies. Cotton. <laughs> yeah. The thing is yeah. the, once the new movie came out and I got sort of, and I'll admit this here, but not over on Michael Myers minute in that context. Once I started getting more into like with the fans of that movie, I don't want to cover those movies. Like anymore. I want to finish the first one and I want to move on. And that's the current plan. I may change my mind later, but right now I'm like, I just want to finish that and fuck my previous <laughs> plans, do something else new and fun. But then I'm like, maybe I'm like Dave earlier in the movie where he's like, I'm going to play this keyboard like a crazy man. Now I'm going to make origami birds. Now I'm going to try woodworking and fail. Or maybe it's a good thing. I don't know yet. Like, I know things I do want to do instead, and I'm going to do those. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the good things about this podcasting format is you have, you have that, that flexibility. You can walk away. You can finish the first Halloween movie and come back and decide you want to continue in release order. You can jump to the most recent sequel. You can kind of pick that. and choose from the series if you want, if you're, you're that kind of person. But I want to go back to, to something you said, Robert, about the, the story and yeah. the lost chapter. And yeah, I, I, I understand that loss that you talked about when, when that final chapter disappeared in transit between computers. And I, but I, I kind of want to say, but in a sense, I, th I do think there was something there that isn't lost. Like, yes, you lost that final chapter and then had to face, do you, you know, try to recover it? Do you rewrite it? Do you just end your story a chapter sooner, kind of leave it to the unknown? But in another sense, you, you had done it. You had still written that chapter. True. You still knew. You still went through the experience of, completing if you had never gone back and rewritten it and if you had never been able to recover it you know you had done something that even if there was nothing that you could show anyone else that in your mind in your heart in your spirit you knew you completed you wrote the story and 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 dave will always have that you know even though in the end we see them you know they're cleaning up the wreckage the remains of this maze Something Dave will carry forward. He'll always have that inside of him. That he set out to build a thing and he built it and it was complete at one point. Even if there's nothing left that he can show anybody. There's nothing he can't, you know, um, his children or his family or anyone else. Uh, he does have footage of it. They do have film footage. Yeah, well, yeah. They have footage, but they won't have the maze itself. Right. But he still, you know, he still has the experience of having done it. And is that, 
you know, is that the point? Is that more important than the thing itself? Is, you know, so Mary, you know, Harry and his crew, are they sort of a, a stand-in for, or a, an embodiment of, um, I don't know, I don't know the, the psychological term, or I guess just of Dave's knowing that he had done this thing, of, you know, the, the mental movie that he makes of the experience of doing. And that even when the move, even when the, the maze is gone, that movie remains and he can play it back in, in his head anytime. Yeah. Well, there's definitely something to be said for firsthand experience. Think of vacations that you take. You go on vacation, you take mm-hmm. a ton of photographs and you come home and you look at these photographs and they're literal snapshots of the time that you spent in a place doing an activity and they will paint such a more vivid picture for you than for anybody else. And so, sure, Dave still has yeah. the footage of the hitherfore to unnamed documentary because we don't know in this minute just what Harry's going to settle on. But just like Sean said, nothing is going to replace those firsthand experiences of running through the maze being lost and hunted that Dave has. Yeah. And now he knows he's capable of... He has a medium Mm -hmm. in cardboard. (laughs) I mean, behind the scenes, this movie involved a lot of actual artists who use cardboard as their regular medium, so he could be one of those. Another thing that Dave has is the knowledge that he can use that cardboard to bend space and time. He could, in theory, (laughs) go forth from this experience and try again. Do a different sort of thing. Maybe not make a labyrinth per se, but maybe create revolutionary low-income housing. He could go find, I don't know where the hobo went. I think he might have just left halfway through the movie. (laughs) But they could go and they could talk to the hobo and be like, listen, I can create mansions (laughs) inside of a 24 by 36 inch square area. I can do that. I have that power. And he can still try to experiment and move on and keep trying. He could turn this maze experiment of his into a sort of Frankensteinian drive that consumes his life. There's always that danger that it could go wrong again. But, going back to Frankenstein, are you really going to let that stop you from digging up corpses and putting brains into craniums? (laughs) Yeah, all those people in your cheap housing can just fight the min- new Minotaur for fun. <laughs> well, and maybe the Minotaur isn't such a bad guy. You just, you need to get to know him. Yeah, we still don't have a good reason behind the appearance of the Minotaur, do we? We, and we never actually see the Minotaur kill anyone. The only person he actually grabs that we see is Bryn, who comes back to life later. Everything else is booby traps. I mean, we see a facsimile of Bryn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not completely on board with the idea that it is 100% Bryn. Okay. But that's just my supposing. For people that have been following along with the minutes, when Julie and I were talking about this, we hypothesized that when you die in the labyrinth, the Minotaur takes your body and feeds it to the 
giant glowing lady bit. <laughs> and that trans, yeah. that breaks you down and allows for the maze to create new things. And so when Bryn was taken by the Minotaur, she got fed to the cardboard vagina and the maze created the Bryn puppet. Which makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Sure, that's how these things work. <laughs> it's what's on screen. It makes sense. Yes, w- within the context of this universe. Yeah, it, it all makes sense. We should talk about um, Gordon's yeah. T-shirt. As I'm, I'm not sure if, if this is the same. It's if it's the same figure that we saw the last time we saw him within the maze. But certainly as he arises from the rubble, the, the wreckage, the, you know, he's got the, the fully formed hero, what started as sort of an 8-bit, very broadly sketched character, is now very in focus, high-res hero, sort of double-wielding. He's got a knife in one hand, and it looks like a, maybe a bat with barbed wire around the end in the other you know his his fully developed hero character to i guess i guess that mirrors that's gordon's development if the movie were about gordon specifically that shirt is mapping his journey i believe it makes three transitions but a couple of them are hard to spot because he's not always right in the center frame up close i believe it changes three times as it Mm -hmm. gains detail and he also gets uh Video game music often in his scenes to go along with stuff he's doing because his, he has his own hero's journey that he's going yeah, through. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the lessons or one of the t- takeaways that I, I had from this movie is when as an individual, as an artist, as a creator, you take on a project of this scope, it's almost inevitable that it sucks in those mm-hmm. around you as it did for Dave. It, it pulls in your friends and family and your, your loved ones that they go on that journey with you, that they get involved because they're involved in your life. And so much of your life is devoted to your project, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's a, a daily podcast or a cardboard maze in your living room that um, you, you think you're doing it alone. You think this is something you're accomplishing by yourself, but it is having an effect. It is involving those around you. Yeah, I and we think, see. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Sean. I think we look at a lot of the individual activities we do, whether that be running or playing video games or being obsessed with a novel series. Whatever hobby you have that you think is a very individual activity still affects the people around you. Yeah. There's a very, there's a very new but very popular YouTube page out there that writes video game reviews from the perspective of someone who will never pick up a controller. <laughs> and you think, oh, well, why would that be useful? But for the people that are around you, Julia has said on multiple occasions, oh, X game is coming out. I am going, I am prepared to be a video game widow for the next however <laughs> long a period. And yeah, I, I can see where she's coming from with that. If you've got, 
a significant other that is into a hobby, if they're into running, well, you know what? They're going to be gone for 30 to 40 minutes a day, first thing in the morning, and they're just not going to be around. That's going to affect you. That's going to change how you interact with them. So I think that's a very important idea that you brought up, Sean, that we need to consider that even if we think that we're just doing it on our own, no, we live in a social environment. Everything that we as individuals do is going to ripple out to those around us. Yeah, I mean, so you, you Rick does a Mad Max Minute with his wife, Julia, so you guys yeah. are doing it oh, together. Yeah. I roped her into it almost um. immediately. <laughs> Which is, um, you know, a, a type of experience, but it's different than, than if you were doing that on your own and Julia was not directly involved. Um, but it sounds like you've got other things going on, um, that you, you spend significant amounts of time in that she is not, you know, not directly involved with. And, but it does, yeah, it'll affect her. As, you know, as, as this has affected Annie and, and Gordon and, those Flemish tourists. Leonard. Yeah. <laughs> um, now there is, there's someone missing from this minute. Someone who last we saw was in the apartment. Someone who does not go into the uh, maze. Yeah. Our cardboard oh, well. expert mm-hmm. does not reappear at the end. No. Do we know what happened to him? Do we ever learn? The last we saw of him is, I forget what minute it was, but uh, it cuts to outside the maze and he's sitting there drinking tea or coffee in the chair in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I guess he, he had a shower and a cup of coffee and. Finished off the pizza. Off. <laughs> finished off the pizza. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Though I particularly, I, I enjoyed one of the things I want to mention is we get the, we get the yep. titular line. Hey ho, it's Niall from Bat Minutes again. Uh, I've been very kindly allowed by Robert E. Black to interject in this minute because he knows of my intense appreciation for the very, very cheesy practice of People saying the name of the movie within the movie. And, of course, this is a grand example of this in Dave Made a Maze, whereas they, oh, why don't we call the documentary we're making Dave Made a Maze? And it's like, ah, ah, ah. That's a thing I do absolutely love because, and actually love it particularly when it's near the end. So it's kind of like, now you get why the movie was called that. Like, you should have a little, like, nudge of, like, there you go. And they have, you know, like, at the end of Eternal Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, they have Kirsten Dunst reading that bit, and then it's, like, it's quite near, like, the in the midst of the third act, and you're like, eh, eh, get it, get it. Uh, so I love that kind of thing. Although, to be honest, the name Dave made a maze. If it's not apparent to you at this point in the movie why it's called that, You've probably got some problems you should be looking into, really. But um, I love this one particularly because it also has that added thing of the intertextual, like, oh, we've got – we're calling a thing we're making within the movie the name of the movie, 
which is also it's like extra. It's like cheese on cheese. It's like really like ah, uh, it couldn't be nudging the audience even more. Uh, the only other major example I can think of of that is in uh, the recent. I say recent. I think it was like two or three years ago now. The like the revival of the Gilmore Girls they had. Where they had Rory Gilmore wrote a book about their lives, and then in the, the last episode, it was it was established that they were going to call this book "The Gilmore Girls," and then Lorelai is like, "Just call it Gilmore Girls," and you're like, "Oh my God, that's like the name of the show," which is oh, I love that kind of thing uh, so much. The only improvement I could make is that. Rather than having a, you know, this the nice little jokey way they do it here of like, oh, well, Dave made a maze a bit on the nose. And then you always should try to work the word truly in before you say the title. So if you could get like, you know, he just goes up to him and says like, truly Dave made a maze. And then that's the last line of the movie. That would have been even better for me because that should be like... You know, they should have had that in, in, in most... I don't care that this is, like, a distracting thing. Like, you should have it in most movies. Like, Brick should end with Joseph Gordon-Levitt going, Truly, that was the mystery of the missing Brick. Or, you know, you should have, like, at the end, this Nicolas Cage saying, like, you know, Truly, that was Captain Corelli's mandolin. Uh, I've never seen that film. I have no idea if Nicolas Cage is even alive at the end of it, or if he's playing Captain Corelli. Uh, but, oh, anyway. Uh, although, I, I, I do have to wonder, um, once more, I, th- I think, I'm sure you guys would have established this at some point throughout already, but whether the title Dave Made a Maze came first, because that does seem like, oh, this is a title, let's make a movie around that somehow. Apparently that's the way... Uh, Morrissey writes songs that he comes up with the titles first and then writes a song afterwards, which is why you get so many Smiths and Morrissey solo songs with great titles like friggin' Hairdresser on Fire and, you know, Shoplifters of the World Unite and stuff. It's like, oh, I thought of a great title. I just write a, mo- uh, write a song around that. And Dave Made a Maze still strikes me a little bit as like, yeah, we had this, we had this title. And then, much like, yeah, I don't know, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, they're like, all right, we'll, we'll work something around that. So, uh, but anyway, I would just like to thank Robert once again for letting me uh, jump in here to voice my appreciation for this line. And just the fact that this is, you know, that this occurs at the end of the film. Uh, and if you out there uh, are also a Movies by a Minute podcaster who is doing a movie that has the title featured in within the text of the film uh, by all means feel free to hit me up at batman hq just to talk about that minute or just to do this kind of thing again because i do i do do love that so thanks again robert and truly dave made a maze Towards the end of this minute, Harry. Our roll credits. Yeah, as uh, as alluded to earlier, Harry asked. Need a title. Asked Dave, "What the what, what should the title be of this movie?" And Dave says, "How about Dave Made a Maze?" And Harry says, "It's a little on the nose. It's a little snakes snakes on a plane." <laughs> <laughs> now there is something to be said for the on the nose movie title. I, for one. 
had zero expectations to start talking about the Snakes on a Plane movie. I had zero expectations of quality walking into that film. <laughs> I expected there to be snakes on a plane. <laughs> there were. And at the end of that 90 minutes, you know what? There were snakes on a plane. I got my money's worth <laughs> and I walked out satisfied. Yeah. yeah. Now, what other than Dave made a maze is Harry thinking of titles for? I know we don't get to it in this minute. I don't know if we get into the next minute. It's been a while since I watched 76, but does Harry have any alternative titles off the top of his head? I don't think he does. I think when Dave says it, the look Harry gives, like second 57 right at the end of this minute, it seems like he's picturing the marquee, mm-hmm. like whether that'll fit. I think Dave knew had that title in mind a while ago, though. When he says, I don't know, it looks like he totally knows. <laughs> you know, he's just being he's smart about it. Coy. He's like, how about, I don't know. Dave made a maze. He's been thinking about that since the film crew showed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it may be one of those things that once it's there, it, it wins. There's some ideas or some suggestions that don't seem like the best. I mean, they seem good, but it, you look at it and you, or I look at it and I think, I should be able to do better than that. But it, it grows. It just sort of expands the space. Just, I'm the first idea and I'm, you know, I've got the high ground and I'm going to fight off any other idea, any other title you suggest. And I'm going to win simply because I'm, I'm not horrible. You know, I'm good enough and I was first. And no other idea, no other suggested title will make its way through. So I think the movie eventually is, you know, goes with Dave Made a Maze. I think that's what Harry goes with. Well, see, that's the thing. The movie that we're watching here is not the movie that Harry makes. No. Right. Right. That's a, that's a completely different movie, which we'll have to cover one minute at a time. Because <laughs> this movie is Dave Made a Maze. Yeah. The movie that Harry is going to make, using all of the footage that he shot, is going to be called something else. Well, I I kind of picture like this is Dave made a maze, sort of in quotation marks. This is this is like the making of Dave made a maze. This is like it's like Tropic Thunder. At the end, you know, so that we see we see the experience that these characters go through in the movie Tropic Thunder, and then at the end, it turns out they've made a movie. Mm. Of that experience. Now it, it was a reenactment filmed later. They didn't, they didn't have a, I don't think they had a camera crew with them through that experience, but, and I, if I remember correctly, that movie is Tropic Thunder. So Tropic Thunder is about the making of or the experiences that become the movie Tropic Thunder. So this is Dave made a maze in sort of quotation marks because it's the experience, the time period covering the making of the movie. Dave made a maze. Okay, so it's more Tropic Thunder, less Hearts of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I certainly, yeah, I mean, Tropic Thunder is very Heart of darkness E. But yeah, I would go with that. Yeah, it's more more Tropic Thunder than, than Heart of Darkness. I was trying to find the other titles for this one. I know in, I believe it's in Japan, the title for this movie translates as killer maze Hmm. i'm trying to find the other ones that seems appropriately dramatic for something that harry would cut together (laughs) yeah what's interesting is because they have this 
title line here, this movie couldn't have been called something else. Because it'd be really weird if Dave says this and we're watching something with a different title. I think audiences would would accept it. I think they'd accept it, but I think it fits better this way. Like, if you say the title as the title, it should be the title. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a little bit of, you know, fan service. There's that segment. There's people that... I mean, I think it's kind of cool, but there are certain people that, like, get, they go nuts. They really like that titular yeah, line. there are those people that will sit in, in a the theater movie. like yeah. Peter Griffin from Family Guy, <laughs> be sitting in the front row and be like, ah, yeah. ah, he, he said, said it. The title. He yeah. said it. Yep, he said <laughs> it. So, yeah. I mean, you're you're almost at the end. You get the big payoff. He says the line. Um, so that's... That's kind of all the thoughts I had. I mean, not not to rush you you no. guys out the door no. if you've got more stuff, but that kind of covers my notes on minute seventy five. I have more specific notes because I do that, but they're not that interesting now. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even bring up the fact that uh, boom operator always has both of his hands on the boom. Yeah, I believe he puts <laughs> it down once in the entire movie, and it's because it's when he helps fix the towel. He is a professional through and through. Now, granted, he does let one hand go limp around second 40, but (laughs) that's because he's not actively picking up the boom. When that boom is off the ground, he's got two hands on it. Consummate professional. Really appreciate that. Always. What else do I have here? Oh, I I mentioned earlier in the podcast many episodes ago that uh, in the animated sequence at the beginning, we see the ant farm, and that's what gives Dave the idea for this maze. Mm-hmm. In this minute, we see it for the second time in the movie, blurry in the background. It's on the desk. It's next to the samurai swords. And a diving helmet, which I wish had somehow got tied into the cardboard. Oh, yeah. Because it... Cardboard diving helmet would have been cool. That would have been pretty cool. I could see them incorporating <laughs> it into when you go back to the room that's full of paper yeah. and uh, cranes and things like that. You put on a cardboard diving bell mask and then you go deeper down into the paper. One of the questions that Julie and I raised is, could you drown in paper that's above your head? And... A diving bell made out of cardboard would have solved that issue. Yeah. Maybe next time you talk to Bill Watterson, you can be like, hey, for Dave made a maze too, or Dave made another (laughs) maze, whatever he wants to talk about, whatever he wants to call it, diving bell. Don't forget about it. Yeah. The opening scene is Dave sitting at the desk like, why didn't that go in there? And just a whole new maze begins. Underwater. Well, so this would be, would it be Dave made a maze, the next generation? Maybe it's like, you know, uh, Annie and Dave have children. Well. And they make their own maze. I don't know. Do you want spoilers? Yes. I'm not saying the second movie is ever going to be made, but uh, Watterson does have an idea for it. And there would be no second generation, probably. Because the setup for the sequel is that Annie and Dave are no longer together. I don't want to know that. That's sad. <laughs> well, he wanted to take 
Do you want to take the internal cardboard of this, where everything is in rooms and hallways, and turn it into more of a outside fantasy mm-hmm. setting and create, like, landscapes and castles and things out of cardboard? And so Dave mm-hmm. would have to then, in trying to get back together with Annie, have to rescue her from, like, a cardboard tower or whatever. I'm on board. I would watch that. Yeah. I could see a story where Dave is sitting at his desk racking his brain over what he's supposed to do with all of these experiences racked up. And then the hobo comes back and be like, hey, I've got an underpass <laughs> over by the highway it's create a that's world. just begging for some, you know, creative touches. And Dave could, in theory, create a gigantic fantasy world out of all the cardboard underneath the highway overpass. Especially teamed up with all the hobos who know cardboard. Mm-hmm. And then you could have individual kingdoms within this cardboard world based on each one of the hobos. Because you saw what mm-hmm. happened when Dave's personal demons infected a cardboard maze. Who knows what sort of crazy visuals or experiences we could have when you have a whole community of people with diverse backgrounds and experiences infecting their own sections of cardboard world which in the short term would be awesome because you get cardboard giants cardboard dragons and whatever but in the long term it just ends up being a cardboard version of reality and then you get politicians (laughs) that is no fun (laughs) sometimes the art can go too far so you have to nuke it the body count of six yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to see in the sequel. Like, is this... Yeah, was there an investigation? Is, uh, you know, is is Dave in his <laughs> prison cell? He escapes building? by building a this maze. Cardboard world in prison. <laughs> right. Or is it like, yeah, 20 years later as he's getting out on parole after serving his time? Because no one's going to believe this story. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't hold... I would, you know, having seen the film, I would not hold Dave personally responsible. Um, if, if anything, I guess it's um, more of like manslaughter, you know, just malicious or negligent maze building. But he certainly didn't set out to hurt anyone. But it's, it's, you know, it'd be hard to make that argument in a court. I feel like it would be hard to convict him. <laughs> There's no evidence. There are no bodies. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think aside from the first death with the axe and Jane getting her head cut off I think that was on camera yeah. but I don't think Bryn and Greg were killed on screen nope uh, the Flemish Earths they disappeared they were, almost immediately well we do see them yeah. as it's collapsing in minute 74 but they're nowhere near a camera yeah yeah can they get DNA off the yarn? <laughs> if they can find it. Well, it is good yarn. <laughs> yeah, it was her best it yarn. It is very good yarn. Yeah. See, the good thing for Dave's case gotcha. is Jane's death looks really fake because of all that yarn. Mm-hmm. So no one's ever going to believe she's right. dead. No one's going to miss the Flemish tourists. They didn't even know their names. Well, that's a bit of a danger in and of itself. These could have been the heirs to some sort of Flemish mob group. Like, you think of, uh, think of, um, it's that Keanu Reeves movie where his dog dies and he has to go on a killing... Keanu? No, 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 no. No. 
Um, John Wick. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> These Flemish tourists could have been the son and gr- and his girlfriend of this Flemish mob boss, and now they're going to come in. They're going to wreck Dave's car I he might have and kill a dog that he would have, and then he'd have to go on a cardboard-based revenge spree. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, if you're listening, these ideas are all just yeah, free for the so taking. Yeah, there's so many sequels right here. Mob bosses being attacked by cardboard dogs. Yeah, cardboard dragons, cardboard politicians. Like, we're running out of Game of Thrones. We need some <laughs> dragons in our lives. If they're made right, out yes. of cardboard, I'm perfectly fine yeah, with that. Game of cardboard. Game of cardboard. That's where this has to go. <laughs> the logical next step. I think that covers minute 75 pretty well. Yeah. So, uh. It's a little on the nose, yeah. but. It has to be at this point. <laughs> uh, let's go Rick first. Where can the listeners find you? All right. If people want to hear more of my pontificating and would not mind hearing it from a post-apocalyptic setting, I can be found on the Mad Max Minute by just going to madmaxminute.com. All of our social media links are there, including links to iTunes and Google Play, Stitcher, and all of that. We go through the Mad Max movies one minute at a time, and if you are the Facebook sort, you can find our listener group. It's called Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. And Sean, how about you? And for Sean, um... Probably the best place if you want to hear more from me is to go to catandshawn.org. And that's cat, C-A-T, and Sean, S-E-A-N. And there I have um, links to my own podcast, the uh, the aforementioned Groundhog Minute, some other things, my holiday movies I've been covering. And uh, also I'll have links to uh, my guest spot. So uh, I did a couple of minutes with Robert on Michael's Meyer, Michael, <laughs> My, Michael Myers Minute. Uh, I, I Usually, do speak yeah. well. Believe it or not, you wouldn't know it from listening to me, but um, I also spent some time with Rick and Julia over at, at Mad Max Minute, and, um, and and a lot of you'll recognize a lot of the other hosts if you've been listening along to uh, to Dave Made a Maze. So uh, yeah, all that said, uh, at catandshawn.org. And listeners, you can, well, you'll hear more from me next episode and in the outro in just a few seconds after Dave says, and, and then, then I can probably, probably disarm, disarm all the, the traps. traps, and then we can... We can finish this maze! Who is with me? That was me, Robert Black, along with Sean German and Ricking. I'm taking a minute 75 of Dave Made a Maze. They have mostly escaped this maze. Next time, on Dave Made a Minute, we've got me again, along with Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride and Dave Palace of Groundhog Minute, taking a minute 76. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. 
If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>